Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. <laughs> this is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. JT JT cams while this is recorded for <laughs> the secret Patreon he has up that we don't know about. Yeah, that clapping sound was just coincidentally on my mark. You know, he was just gonna smack his ass anyway for the <laughs> the elderly gentleman watching his webcam show. Now JT's on that level where there are heterosexual women watching his 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 cam show. He's he's not just performing for gay men. He's really really stepped up his game, and those numbers are. He's in heterosexual world now. Putting up heterosexual. Well, well I appreciate that. <laughs> I've always wanted to step into the heterosexual world. <laughs> Welcome to Extended Clip. We're back after a brief hiatus. Really the longest break we've ever taken between episodes other than when we ended the podcast. But we're back for the best films of 2022. See, that's the thing. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Some people just want to release their best of the year list the first time they possibly can, which for a lot of people is December 1st, which I think is ludicrous. It is, you know, people who call themselves professional critics just acting like a YouTube comment section goon, you know, <laughs> racing to comment first. Uh, and not even spelling it right. That's that's what they're doing by avoiding these films that they should be catching up on. They're not even spelling the word first, right? Yeah. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. First. I said my name first. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? It is like, I agree with that, and it's like, we, we're taking our time, right, to do our 2022 list, and, you know, the advantage, we're not releasing it on December 1st. You know, so we could watch all the movies and well, it's I, I but I didn't quite do that actually. I didn't watch. Yeah, that, it's that funny many because the, the the list is like a lot of stuff that we even talked about on the podcast like three months ago. <laughs> but it's a good list, and we yeah. did catch up on stuff. I yeah. did. I did a lot of due diligence viewing for this that didn't end up on the list. You know, you look at the logs. I'm doing a lot of passive three, two and a halfs. Like some, I'm just knocking out the 22, 22 movies. You know, some controversial movies. Eddie told me to to skip. Basically, you Ooh. know what I mean. But I we, we'll see the list. We'll, we'll see, see the, the list. list. You know, we'll see I mean? the list. Um, JT, did you have a good New Year's? Um, I had a great New Year's, and like uh, to talk about like the playing the game of catch up because the mm -hmm. reason, like again, we're diligent, uh, thoughtful. And uh, we put in the research. That's one thing people have always said about us. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cool. You, you gotta, you gotta put in the work. And I was doing catch up with a lot of these movies, and just like, I don't know. It when this point of the year comes around, I always realize how much like I hate it because like they're <laughs> surefire locks that like you know are going to be on your list. But at the end of the year. You're seeing what's like made it out to like uh, digital releases that you can get your hands on, things like that, and uh, a lot of the stuff that's in the weeds where it's like maybe I might like this, I wind up hating, and then it's just like I don't know. I feel like it's wasting time, like just uh, trying to cull a bunch for a list. But then there are the gems that do shine through that I feel like you wouldn't have seen otherwise. But yeah, 
Yeah, and I feel like some of it is distinguishing stuff that's like not even actually out yet right now that yeah. will get a real release next year, but it's like, you know, available to people who know how to download movies because it played at the festival circuit. And it's like, yeah, I I'm not gonna get I'm not gonna watch a link of Pacifiction. I'm gonna wait till that's playing in a theater and that'll be a twenty three movie, you know. Yeah, it's you know, it's it is like the release dates are, you know, basically ephemeral at this yeah. point. You know, Whoa, I mean, release dates yeah. are so oh, oh, oh. ephemeral, bro. <laughs> because it's like I think I saw like Memoria like to like uh April twenty twenty two, but it's mm-hmm. like not on this list but it's not on you know my 21 list or but whatever. it's just a film of all time it's just a yeah it's just a film you know what i mean so it is like it certain, was on my 21 yeah, yes i because i did the thing last year where i i did a thing you guys yeah uh last year where uh we weren't even doing the podcast and i just watched a bunch of 2021 movies right before the year ended memoria included which i sh- probably should have waited to see in a theater because it's you know one of the best sound design movies of the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it still made my list regardless. So it's, you know, you get what you get. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't complain. If you're, that's I got, all I'm saying. I got, this, I got a lot of That's the biggest warning. It's just like, if, you, if, if you're listening to this, you're like, that, I saw that a year and a half ago. Don't complain. No complaining. No Although complaining. I, might, I, might, I might complain, so I, I guess I can't say that yet. I also will complain. There's no way I won't. JT, where are you at on complaining this episode? Um, I'll, perhaps I'll do a little bit of it. I'm you're, thinking you're, it you're over not now. Much of a, you're not much of a whiner. You're not, you're not one to bitch and moan, as it were. Um, I don't know. The lists, though, they really bring out the bitching and the moaning. True. <laughs> That's well, what they want. That's what they're trying to. They're trying to make it go. Oh, brother, this one. <laughs> you know? and, and I guess we're, we. Everyone plays the fool. That's the thing. It's like you could. You could be like Chris Cuomo, right? And you could. <laughs> you could point out the game, right? Everyone's playing the game, and like to even point out, people are playing the game at this point. It might it might not even be worth it? So let's just play the game. The most conscious man in all of media, Chris Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna get started here. Um, our number 10 film received... So we did like a point system, you know, we it's the classic thing. Your number one film gets uh, 10 points and your number 10 film gets one point. Fill in the blanks. There's some half points for honorable mentions. If you're a nerd, you could figure it out. Yeah. But if you're not a nerd, just listen up. This is... A, yeah, we submitted, you know, our three solo lists, combined mm-hmm. them into this extended clip official list. And me and JT don't know the results. So we might... We're going to be reacting... Right along with you. Yeah, you'll hear my gasps alongside like what what Eddie is saying. And we haven't done a real like year end episode since we first started the podcast too. We started the podcast at the end of a year, kind of, and we did one three months into that year. And then there was the uh, like the COVID year where there was nothing, and then we ended the podcast in December and didn't do a year end. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's a. the much awaited, the first since the uh, the very controversial 2019 rankings. This is what people want. We'll give this it to them. This is what people want. You know, this is three years from now. People are going to be arguing like they still are about uh, <laughs> what's better between Uncut Gems and The Irishman or whatever. I'm still fuming over that. So <laughs> that's a sort of subject. Unfortunately, there are no Irishmen this year. I should just say, like, kind of a ridiculously weak year for movies like i i really like my top 10 as always there's always going to be a fun top 10 to Mm -hmm. put together but you're looking it's not exactly like there's no fives for me you know there's no masterpieces this year there's a lot of really good to great movies there's a lot of high three and a half low four on my five point scale it's it's you know 
there's always going to be good stuff. And I think this year is a good example of that. Like, it felt pretty miserable all year, but you're always going to find 10 good enough movies, sometimes even 20. Yeah, I think even my number one movie on my personal list only, you know, I only give it four stars, you know, and that's a good rating. Let's not get it wrong. But, yeah. Um, sometimes it's yeah. not an all-time great movie year. Like, sometimes there's no masterpieces that will stand the test of time. It doesn't mean it's a horrible movie. Or, you know, maybe we did, you know, we just haven't, we haven't, it hasn't revealed it True. to ourselves yet. You know, maybe, you know, we'll find it later. It's not a big deal. Are you guys ready to get into it? Rip off number 10, please. Number 10 is a film that JT and I have both voted for called Vikram. Ah, shit. I missed out on this one. Hell yeah. I didn't see it. Now, JT, you were were early on the Vikram train. This is a very fun movie. It is kind of a legacy sequel reboot kind of thing. Uh, But, you know, it doesn't feel cynical in that regard. I also haven't seen the original. Um, and it just stands alone as a fantastic film. Uh, just, I don't know. It, the, the rug gets pulled out uh, beneath this conceit, but the conceit of the first half of the main character just getting like drunk and smoking all day and doing all the crazy action and dancing that he does is so fun. But then the rug is pulled out, and it turns out he's actually been pretending the whole time. <laughs> and uh, what, are, what are the great, like... Uh, I don't know, uh, goofy reveals kind of. This movie is so much fun and so well-directed and choreographed. And I, uh, I, I, you know, wish more people checked it out. JT? Yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty much where I feel about it. Like, it's just... I, and I'm disappointed I had to wa- watch this at home as opposed to in the theater. But, mm. yeah, no, just so many amazing set pieces. Like, I feel like everyone was talking about, like ambulances drone uh footage this year which i think is like certainly very impressive we'll get to that for sure yeah here the camera is doing a lot of just i don't know crazy cool like fun inventive stuff like when there's like the fight i feel like this is shortly after like the twist reveal of like who Mm -hmm. vikram actually is like where the camera is just sort of like I don't know. It has these weird, like abrupt, sort of like snaps into the place, uh, into place with like Vikram's movements that I was just uh, very impressed by. And Vikram, the title character, uh, played by Kamal Hassan here. Kamal Hassan gives one of my performances of the year. For oh sure. yeah, I mean, he is movie, so fucking awesome. Yeah, the movie completely rests on his shoulders. Like maybe no, I I, I was gonna say more than anything else in our top ten, but we'll get to one more. Uh, performance-based movie soon um but yeah vikram incredible go check it out as jt said i wish i could have seen it in the theater because you know having to not you know totally blast the volume was very hard yeah all right number nine let's do it um number nine is metal detector maniac by charles roxburgh and Matt Farley. Now, this is another one where it's like, is this a 2021 film? A 2022 yeah. film? I think you guys might have had it differently. I had it very high on my list. So I just have it on this so we can... So, uh, you, know, so you guys didn't vote for it, but I'm sure you guys have it as a 21 film, right? Yeah, so you... you yeah, exactly. This, basically, to, you, you fixed the list. I didn't no, fix no. the list. <laughs> that is... Uh, no. <laughs> So since you guys didn't vote for it because of that, it is like one of two movies on the list that only one of us voted for. We'll get to the other ones. I like, but I I like that, you know, it's 
instead of it being like a an even curve, it's kind of a mountainous list. You know, some of us have our solo, you know, movies that we put on there by ourselves. There's yeah. some that we have agreed all, all on, you know. It's kind of an interesting way, you know, to make a list. But, I mean, I love Metal Detector Maniac. It would make my top ten if I were to put it in my 2022 you know, list. Yeah, and we're going to hear more from Charles Roxburgh and Matt Farley soon on this mm-hmm. podcast, uh, this very episode. But for those who don't know, because like maybe you're just listening to this because you saw Best Films of 2022, because everyone who listens to this podcast knows who these guys are mm-hmm. and knows the pretty like historic run that they're on right now of, you know, um, prolific independent filmmaking greatness. They're making, you know, a couple movies a year or one a year. And uh, they're all always on my top 10 list. It's kind of ridiculous. So Metal Detector Maniac, I think, is, you know, it's a question of are they using plot to write unique songs or is he forming plot around song ideas that he has? That's that's a thought that I had during Metal Detector Maniac because I feel like this one uses uh, Matt Farley's songwriting ability for filmmaking storytelling better than any of the other films. Uh, it's not like the, their overall best film or anything like that, but in terms of combining his two great talents of you know writing for characters and performing as well as his songwriting talents... Uh, Metal Detector Maniac really nails something for me. Very special. Uh, Chris Peterson gives a great performance as well. Uh, you know, all, all, all your regulars are there. Uh, the Odd Duck song is fantastic. <laughs> uh, the general conceit of these guys being professors of songwriting who get to take a sabbatical and solve <laughs> crime in the meantime. I mean, <laughs> if you're not familiar with the Farley Roxburgh Motorn Media uh oeuvre that is a great high concept one to get you started with no yeah i I, you know farley you know looking at my list there was a couple of filmmakers where it's like you know if i see their movie there's probably a good chance for you know my own personal list will make my top 10 and farley and roxburgh are definitely like that now you know scheduled appointment viewing and you know a lot of you know the farley movies they deal with you know kind of the small town aspect you know casting you know various characters as just people from his hometown and uh, they're the most regionally specific movies going right now in america at least yeah definitely and you know that's that's part of what makes them enjoyable and it's usually you know i think uh what's fun about that you know this one and i would say heard she got married it's kind of playing with you know you know small town perception or whatever you know He's definitely showing the positives of all of this stuff. I mean, I, I'd say Magic Spot is definitely firm, you know, pro small town living, you know what I yeah. mean? Whether it's like, I feel like Meta Detector Maniac and Heard She Got Married both kind of show kind of, you know, maybe the oddities that come with it and kind of certain habits and certain, uh, you know, perspectives that, you know, there's kind of, you know, obviously there's an obvious paranoia angle to Metal Detector Maniac yeah. that is is kind of funny that you know kind of feels you know very small townish and yeah it, it it's uh as they continue to make films in this vein they you know explore this subject in very rich ways jt any thoughts on metal detector maniac before we move on um yeah i mean i'm just echoing essentially the your thoughts about it that i feel i don't know roxburg farley movies are always going to be like like high ranking among the year's lists um and just to i don't know remark again upon the 
run that they've had of just uh, I don't know. I feel like they've tweaked like their early like formula like a little bit where I think that like the movies whether or not like Magic Spot I feel like is like more like sentimental and whatnot but I feel like they're just going in unique directions with it where they're still like goofy but they're like earnest in like a different style whether it's just like uh I don't know a darker tone or like having more of the music sort of just like play out in like live performance uh scenes um and just like shooting a lot of stuff in like black and white like did black and white and like particularly digital black and white and making it look really good um yeah no you you got to get on now there there's so many uh in their slate of movies coming out soon that are uh i'm sure going to be like boston johnny is this year and i'm sure that's also going to be amazing you know I, i think shooting you know especially in the way that they make movies kind of in a you know, somewhat quick matter, you know what I mean? I feel like the digital black and white is kind of like, it's a good thing to rely on, yeah. you know, especially in terms of like, you know. I mean, them and Hong Sang-soo yeah, alike. Yeah, exactly. I mean, how could you not compare those two, you know, yeah. in my head? But like, I think it's, you know, a lot of the problems with like kind of like cheap digital looking movies is that, you know, the colors will just be completely off. And, you know, black and white, you have to, of course, you have to shoot with that in mind. It's a different set of struggles but it's i feel like you could and you know this is i, I can't i can't speak you know with, like i've done this before but i feel like digital black and white just might be it's a sure thing with the color correction you know what i mean mm-hmm. i feel like just a, a filmmaker's tip i guess yeah no i i get it. it's like digital black and white can be horrendous to look yeah at. true but when people are locked in and know how to use it appropriately you you can hide a lot with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the good filmmakers know how to use that to their advantage. Um, speaking of good filmmakers, uh, number eight, Both Sides of the Blade by Claire Denis. Good filmmaker. Great filmmaker, in fact. Uh, I, I really loved Both Sides of the Blade. I was not as hot on the other one, uh, Stars at Noon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That was part of my catch-up project. But Both Sides of the Blade film that uh malcolm and i saw together yeah back at the uh lemley glendale a while back i think we talked about it on the first episode of the reunion tour briefly so we won't go too deep but uh it's an incredible you know relationship drama we have juliette binoche really at the highest level of auteur stand-in performer between this and let the sunshine in especially i feel like there really hasn't been a yeah an auteur stand-in actor that has gone as hard as the two of them have gone in the last few years between those two films i mean it's really just like they feel like they're just artist statements that she's making so backhandedly like she doesn't even have to try to make these movies that feel like they're almost like theses on what she does as an artist and a filmmaker in general yeah, I you know I think I also like this one a little bit more than Stars at Noon, as well. And you know it's kind of interesting. I feel like I you know stuff that happens in Stars at Noon, you know, kind of like espionage subplots, the setting and whatnot. It almost seems like it'd be more of a seductive movie, you know, to me. You know, it kind of seems like more of the stuff that I I would like. And you know, I think I feel like its kind of tone is maybe even. 
uh, more likable to me than both sides of the blade. But I think what make both sides of the blade such a rich movie is that like it it is just one of the best you know kind of like conversation based movies I saw this year you know where a lot of it yeah. is like characters talking to each other and it kind of just very maturely handles very kind of like adult wonky situations in a way that's not maybe ultimately satisfying it's kind of you know maybe a little bit of a spoonful of medicine movie but I I feel like you know when it was all said and done I feel like it was just so well defined to me that you know it's kind of undeniable. Mm. JT, did I? I didn't. I, I don't know your personal list. Uh, did you see both Claire Denis movies this year? Do you have any? Do you like one more than the other? I didn't see Stars at Noon. I'm sure I'll catch up with it at some point. I did see both sides of the blade during uh, all the January like catch up I've been doing, and I really enjoyed it. It is on my list. I think just barely at or not maybe not just barely outside the top 10 it's like 16 on my list of 20 but it was yeah. it was the last film on jt's list that was given like half a point Hell uh, yeah. it barely snuck in there to sneak ahead of uh, metal detector maniac to get a little glimpse of uh, how the sausage is made in the point distribution <laughs> both sides of the blade six points uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no and i also think uh vincent landon is incredible yeah. as a counter to Julia oh, yeah. in this. Uh, obviously the the third wheel her ex Francois played by Gregor Colleen. I, I don't really know that actor but Vincent Landon is like he reminds me of performances you see in French movies from like 40 years ago. You know like mm-hmm. he yeah. he really feels like an older type of lead and like this you know obviously Denis uh, sketches his character with more modern details, especially in his like emotional intelligence or whatever. But there are these moments where it's like, oh man, this is the type of character that like the classic French actors that are canonized used to perform as. You know, the, this is like I'm not saying it's a thing fucking Michelle Simone would do or whatever. But I, it's I like, think I was about uh, to mention his name. Yeah, you know, no, exactly. Know, but it's like, like it, it's very vaguely in that wheelhouse of just like such a classic male kind of brooding but slightly sensitive uh, French cinema performance from him. Understated, you know, sneaky top five supporting male performances of the year for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Binoche, obviously, in the uh, front running for uh, lady performances, uh, yeah. if you were to gender the performances. <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit of Michelle Piccoli. Or whatever, or Piccoli. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 I could see that more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just really, like, sturdy, really getting it done, and also effective camera work throughout from uh Gautier but not as good as like I don't know that, that's what holds it back from being a top tier Denis movie because I think dramatically it kind of is we kind of miss those images of Agnes Goddard her longtime DP even for Let the Sunshine in a few years ago you know uh it's not quite at that level visually mm-hmm. but it's close you know Denis' eye for composition is always great and the iPhone switch up is awesome too I love that yeah it's an apartment and house movie so yeah you, it's a you domestic argument get. movie yeah, so. and if you were to tell me hey a domestic argument movie about middle-aged French people is going to be you know your sixth best <laughs> movie of the year I would have said you know go fuck yourself but not if you told me it's directed by Claire Denis I guess mm-hmm. Moving on, number seven is the only other film left that only one of us even watched. JT, tell us a little bit about Trauma Zone by Adam Curtis. Oh. I had a feeling that this one might be the other one because I like it's my number two. 
um, of the year. But yeah, no, I feel like a lot of people, even those who like, I mean, really the only ones who are like checking out the new Curtis releases are the Curtis heads. Um, <laughs> and I feel like this one, because it was a little bit, we've all been too hyper normalized by these two hour movies to, you know, see freaked up six part documentaries anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I knew he was changing up his style in this because this is a lot less like, I mean, his voice is like heard certainly through like intertitles, but this one is no Curtis narration. I want to say most of the music is like diegetic in the footage. Like it's not like he's making a lot less like choices in that regard, but I think what he's like trying to capture here with the fall of the Soviet Union and just like how like I don't know it's like one of those monumental moments in history where like everything changes and society goes into complete collapse and fortunately because it took place in this time period there's a lot of footage of it from like BBC reporters that were there at the time and also like personal home video footage and Curtis definitely sees the power in that. And I think because he recognizes it, he sort of lets the material speak for itself and play out in longer sequences. But even just beyond that, like I still think like his technical mastery with like editing is still there. The way he chooses to like weave in and out of one story or one thread that he follows in a particular episode uh, is fascinating. And just I, I don't know. I think I really love this one because stripping away a lot of his usual techniques, he's still able to show how personal history interweaves with like large scale political history and events. And uh, I, I would recommend, I would be curious to hear what either of you think about it because I'm sure, I don't know, I feel like you might like him going a little bit more bare bones. I think it's neat. Uh, it's even though I don't think like it's not my favorite Curtis, uh, it's still. Uh, um, definitely up there for me. Yeah, I like one that I've seen from him that doesn't have voiceover. Is it It Felt Like a Kiss, the f like 45-minute one? Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, and I, I liked what I saw there, so I, I'd be interested in checking out like a bigger, longer version of that kind of for the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, hey, sounds right up uh, his alley for sure. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm one of those Curtis heads, but I, yeah, I, I didn't quite check this out. Wasn't it released kind of strangely, like on like... A beat like the BBC channels, like specific. Yeah, it was like player. through the BBC streaming app or something like that. I mean, I got a download of it, but of course, like with all Curtis documentaries, I feel like they're all it's on YouTube now. That's so, true. Like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like they must he must have made a decision to allow that to happen, right? Because I, I I like that aspect of it, or maybe not. I don't know, but I like I like that you can watch all of his movies on YouTube. I feel like if he wanted them like taken down, I feel like there's a legal saying. fight like you could do. So I do like if if he's making that decision, that's a real tip of the hat for me. <laughs> this stuff belongs like on YouTube. Like kids need to like just randomly discover yeah. it, you know what I mean? It's YouTube's a good place for it. YouTube. 
the sponsor of Extended Play. <laughs> I like YouTube. YouTube's kind of an underrated website hey man, in the grand scheme of things. If we can get some of that Google things. money, I would love yeah. to fucking take them as a sponsor, but I don't know why I don't think YouTube would sponsor our podcast. We <laughs> don't, don't really sponsor people, I don't I think so. Like I feel like there's ads for YouTube TV. on True. Like, uh, maybe not on podcasts, though. Yeah, that might podcast be a little bit out of our range, you know, being a podcast that's never received an offer for an ad read before (laughs) to go straight to like, usually you do like the movie one or like the, you know, something like that or like a letterboxed one. If we like if we start doing practice ad reads, then people will, you know, advertisers will listen. True. And then they'll know we have that ability. So (laughs) well, we can cut some demo ones later. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I'll I'll put together our, our sizzle reel of ad reads. That'll that'll be. We got to start making money off this for sure. <laughs> Before it's too late. Moving on to number six, uh, Malcolm's number one of the year, "Crimes of the Future" oh, by ah. David Cronenberg. Our number six of the year. Little little. I you know I expected. I didn't expect it to be number one, but I was thinking at least top five. But uh, you know I I am a Cronenberg devotee. You know what mm-hmm. I mean. And a lot of his previous movies, like Maps of the Stars, Cosmopolis, you know, I don't, I don't think I've made lists for those years. But if I were, they'd be very close to the top, uh, you know, if not top one. And I, I, I actually, I rewatched this about a month ago, you know, because I, I, I it went, you know, it left theaters pretty fast. Yeah, I, I would have seen it twice. But yeah, I think uh, there's just like a kind of a the strange tone in this that Cronenberg you know, achieves through kind of, you know, shooting in these Greek ruins, exploring like this medical art world of his, you know, uh, his own personal creation and kind of uh, examining parts of culture like, uh, you know, and kind of like, you know, the fear that society's degrading or like kind of, uh, you know, the sneaky one of kind of like, art culture and like uh the like government programs working mm-hmm. together and i love i love the main character vigo plays here you know someone who's you know an og in the art world kind of you know kind of rep- not repulsed by it but disinterested in it at this point and is kind of almost passively working with this kind of government agency to you know quell out you know the the purple bar eating radicals and I don't know something something about uh the the way he lives or what I think I described this in you know our catch up episode but it is like kind of the way Saul Tenser's living he's like resting in weird pods you know <laughs> as he experiences pains in his bodies it, it I don't know I it speaks to me in a way that I, I don't think anything else quite does I I I just the way he want to be potted up I I really I really you know I'm. I think much like Cronenberg, I'm await. I've accepted the dystopian future. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of awaiting it. I've kind of pivoted to where it's like yeah. I'm. I'm gonna lean in, and it's it's you know I'm just gonna walk around in in my dark hood and you know kind of just kind of leer at it. You know what I mean? And kind of be part of the problem as well, but also just just kind of kick back and still be you know. But you're not I, eating the purple bars. I'm not. Uh, you know. Well, that at the, that's how it ends, right? He eats the purple bars and he he realizes. I, I like that ending too. I, I you know, the nice uh, Carl Dreyer, Joan of Arc, uh, tear close up we get, and I don't know it. I think it's my movie of the year just because it, it it 
it scratched a specific itch that I, I didn't even quite, I think I knew that I had, but it, it kind of almost revealed more to me. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You got to get some of that <laughs> surgical machinery in there to scratch your brain a little more. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to live like a lifestyle where I'm in the hospital for, for most of the year. <laughs> I could like see Malcolm bed. like cloaked up too. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I might, I might, you know, for other reasons, I might not, I might need to start cloaking up. But, uh, <laughs> but I, mean, I also a, like it as like, an artist muse couple movie like yeah. it's very interesting in that regard with him and Leia Sudu. um i don't know because like just like giving your because the whole thing the conceit of the movie obviously is that uh people are doing you know body modification as like the, the highest i guess most popular form of avant-garde art i guess in yeah the, in this <laughs> in this future and uh they're just like hurting their bodies as much as they can and it, it, it reminded me of like how artists and even athletes like put their bodies through and their minds through just complete torture to get at what they want. You know, whether it's like Kubrick deteriorating his own brain basically by doing billions of takes and, you know, also just treating his body like shit while doing so or an athlete like, you know, the the quote unquote hardest working athletes are always like fucking dickheads like Kobe or whoever. Yeah. Uh, and then this idea of like doing it as a couple thing, like giving your body over to your art, but like with your babe, like that's yeah. a, it's, it's, it's sweet. It's like really, it's kind of romantic in a disgusting way, oh, yeah. uh, which is like the key to Cronenberg, obviously his really, his relationship to sex and relationships in general uh, between the sexes uh, is just going to be very strange and like, kind of give and take yeah you know and something i've noticed a lot on my own personal list a lot, a lot of good like husband and wife work in yeah. these movies you know what i mean kind of like a you know I, I who doesn't love a nice divorce drama or whatever you know both sides of the blade but there is you know not even like in like uh, uh an overly positive way but it's kind of cool to see you know these married couples working together they're you know they're always <laughs> married couples are always fighting or people always you know, marriage is always depicted as like uh my bitch wife won't let me you know watch whatever you know it is it's kind of cool to see it's like you know little uh couples against the world type mentality yeah marriage story should have been more like this yeah exactly <laughs> why don't they why don't they make up their differences and you know work together <laughs> even even a movie I, I didn't like uh white noise that's why we really hated the fablemans was the, all the <laughs> all the anti-marriage stuff no yeah. i i hated the fablemans because mitzi fableman needs to be arrested for her crimes <laughs> I, I think it is it is her it, antics are illegal i think yeah, maybe me and i just dislike the fablemans maybe out of like pure misogyny we're just like really mitzi fableman that... just sucks i don't want to be around her it was like... really weird that malcolm and i were together in a screening hating it together and this whole crowd was yucking it up and all of our friends like it and it's just like were we in a weird like vortex version I think, of the fablemans i think it might be it might be us like it, it might be it, us. it might be our fault so sorry for all the fableheads yeah fable minions out there yeah look it's not maybe we'll do a flash bottom five of the year but it's not on that it's not that bad it's just, i like it I but it does have it. problems like i understand like why you guys don't like it like I think, like, and I think a lot of it, as opposed to other stuff that, like, we might disagree with, I feel like boils down to, like, content and, like, mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, I don't know. I, like, because there's some parts where it is a little bit, like, give me a fucking break. Like, I know a lot of people <laughs> love the, uh, I've, I've seen a lot of love for when, like, uh, Sammy Fableman, 
like has uh, made his like cr- the bully that he has a crush on like make he made him like fly or made him like uh, yeah. look like a god on the screen. But for me, that just like didn't like. I, and like I like when that this confrontation m- just didn't make any sense. Yeah, no, me, I, I, I agree. I agree. I like more. and I like parts where this movie goes like more poetic, like mm-hmm. and like goes into that sort of like uh, more sentimental realm. This just like I don't know felt very unearned for me. Yeah, people like it. Oh, it's like oh, it's Freudian. It's like. Why, oh, do you, I, why do you why do you name another psychotherapist that you're well, into? Uh, 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 a lot of people I've talked to have been like, <laughs> I like how Spielberg's just like laying out the whole Freudian thing. It's like, no, he was doing that for his first thirty movies too. If you fucking pay attention at all, like all of his movies are about divorce, and all of his movies, almost all of his movies, have fucking weird mom and dad stuff. And it's like, I don't know why this one making it explicit. Like is good. I I, I I don't like that as an. To me, it's a little unbecoming. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. <laughs> we're kind of we kind of become lifestyle guy. You know, I I, you know, I, I don't want to like, know about Spielberg's like deep impulses with his mom. Like I yeah. Or, or you know, in, I don't know. Yeah, just whatever, whatever. Next movie that we shouldn't have even talked about. That we we just wasted breath. It's it's worth it's worth talking. You know, people want to know. They want to know. Crimes of the Future was number six with thirteen and a half points. Number five has fourteen points. Barely squeaked it out. Ambulance by Michael oh. Bay. Oh hell yeah. Yeah, all of us had ambulance at like pretty high. Malcolm had it the highest. I think you had it at number three. Correct. Uh. We had a hell of a time at Ambulance. That we saw it in IMAX. We were pretty close up. Um, it's just it's just a rip roaring time, you know. It's like it's a horrible movie if you're a literalist. Uh, like Tom Anderson wouldn't like it because yeah. like they're kind of shooting all over LA and the locations are just kind of a blur. But I kind of like that uh, that it's just like a hodgepodge of random LA locations that you see play the hits outside of a fucking you know car window blurring by often, and you get stuff like the helicopter going under the bridge by the LA River and all the drone photography. Of course, there's some drone shots that look like the camera is like bouncing on a trampoline. Almost, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Um, obviously, there's like bad humor here and there. I like I like the humor. I think the it's bay funny. humor is like I love how it's by far his most streamlined movie. Like you know, not even close. Like nothing else he's made is this streamlined. Yeah, and it still has time for like the gay therapy couple, uh, 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 <laughs> like, uh, 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 the the cops dog, <laughs> like, all the classic bay humor stuff. I like this movie a lot. Yeah, I think you know that's that's a good point that it's it's his most streamlined movie. It is like it is a, you know, maybe just despite the you know the couple things you just mentioned, it's a pretty no nonsense you know movie. It despite well and, and yeah. the sing along part yeah. too. Well, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. well, that has an emotional connective <laughs> through. You know, they used to listen to that song to come. Of course, um, no, but I think I think it. It shows that, you know, you, if you use this thing called kinetic energy, yeah. right, you know what I mean? And you, you kind of bank your movie on that and you have the technical chops that Bay does. I think I think it, you know, the results are, are pretty enthralling to me. You know, I think maybe towards 
maybe towards the end, you know, that that takes a couple detours to where maybe it loses a little bit of its momentum. Well, yeah, because it's a movie that's about driving fast, and then the finale is a shootout where you're parked. Yeah, it's like all right. Well, I wish we were just driving fast again. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, and I, I I do like the over the top kind of hammy performances, and I think the mill, you know, Gyllenhaal. And the, you know, the milieu that they're, that base sets up for them is kind of perfect for, you know, just to chew up scenery, you know, chew up scenery and I'll, I'll walk around you with the camera, you know yeah. what I mean? And it, I think it works, you know, to an extent for me that I, you know, I, I was thrilled, you know, I watched this movie twice and, you know, I, you know, I could watch it a third time. I, I really, I really am a. A, a fan of this movie and this is bay in quote unquote low budget mode like mm-hmm. it's his lowest budget he's used and i think that kind of does come through in some of the location work it's like yeah you can't lock down iconic locations for days at a time like he usually can yeah uh some of the best work in this is actually in a parking garage at one point when the the car crashes into the gate of the five ton truck yeah like that the way the camera is moving with the car and then the ca- car gets hit it's like basic physics of action filmmaking but obviously who does that better right now you know like very mm-hmm. few people understand what a car crash is supposed to be like on screen i mean it like is him. i think you know we were just we were just besmirching him but i guess i'll give spielberg credit for this i think i think he's commented it's like it's insane that michael bay did like five transformers movies you yeah. know what i mean i guess it is it is like you know probably there's good money in that but like it, it, it is kind of a... I mean, a, those movies are so bad. Those movies suck, and they're such a waste of his talent, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, may, and maybe putting him on somewhat of a financial leash like that. You know, there are some, you know, like you said, set pieces you can't really... Uh, you know, you can't be there all day, so maybe you can't get as detailed as, you know, maybe he might, but... Uh, yeah, the helicopter thing yeah. was like a total run and gun. They didn't storyboard it. They just, like, got the helicopter day of, apparently. Yeah. Like, we got whatever half a day to shoot this helicopter. And like, I, I like the story of, you know, the drone operator. You know, he's like a 19 year old guy who just had like a popular YouTube channel that Michael so Bay sick. was a fan of. And Bay said, you know, come, come work with, you know, come work with us, you know. And uh, I don't know. I just, that's, that's a fun little bonus story. Besides, like, you know, we see what the media is t- t- saying about Michael Bay right now. They're saying that he killed a pigeon in Italy in 2018. <laughs> How do you even fucking quantify that? Who's, who the fucking. <laughs> What fucking bird watcher fucking squealed on Michael? What are they even fucking? That doesn't make. How do you like arrest someone for killing a pigeon like three years later? Where they they had like a bird watchers should be fools watched. Yeah, I'll just say that. Was J- there, there's some sort of like investigation that took three years and they found footprints? But yeah, all of our best fucking directors are gonna end up locked up in Europe. Uh, JT, any thoughts on ambulance? Yeah, no, I mean it's great. It's just bare bones essentials are all there it is fun like even though like i like i know you're talking about it being like the smallest bay has worked like which it certainly is it's still like a huge movie that like i don't know just keeps up the momentum and uh i don't know it's it would be hard not to enjoy this i think all the elements are there like the bay stuff i feel like like his sense of humor and usual stuff like has to like has had to adapt for the times to some extent um and it's fun to see that progression there and also just like one of the like some of his scripts are really grating that he has to work with but this is like i don't know and i mean i feel like especially because it is so lean like that's why like there's no time for bullshit but 
there's a little time to ha- to have some fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's another thought. This movie should be called should be called We Don't Stop. That'd be a better title. <laughs> that is a good stop. Yeah. But I love dude ambulance with the stylized capital L A. Ambulance. Yeah, of course. Sick. Yeah. Uh, this is where it gets interesting. Number okay. four. We have a tie. We have a tie between RRR by SS Rajamouli and Avatar: The Way of Water oh, by James wow. Cameron. Wow, that that feels like a fun tie. I like that. That's yeah, a fun yeah, tie because they're both big digital spectacle movies and on very different ends of the spectrum in terms of how you're imagining and how you're executing these, you know, digital spectacles. Avatar, we did a whole episode on it. We love it. It's great. If you didn't mm-hmm. listen to that and you're listening to this, the short version of it is James Cameron has created another world where filmmaking rules aren't exactly the same, but they're kind of the same. And uh, he lives in that world with his special underwater cameras yeah. and his and his Tolkien whales. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a great film. And there's plenty of time to you know have fun, follow your interests, kind of... Uh the movies are long enough where he kind of follows his nose mm-hmm. a little bit. You know, what, what Hold that thought. I'm going to quote you on uh, follow the nose like the dog. The classic Malcolm description of a plot. <laughs> <laughs> I have that written down on one of our later films. Um, but I, you know, I, and I kind of, uh, one thing I, you know, this is usually seen as a negative, but I kind of like that there's going to be, what, like seven more mm. Avatar movies, and yeah, it's kind we're of just like... just going to get to hang out there. Like, I kind of hope it gets like, by Avatar 8, it's almost like a Sai Ming Lang museum movie. <laughs> or whatever. And, just, and it's just like 45 minutes of like the 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 beach avatars, you know, running around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like this could could go to a lot of interesting places it already has with uh you know the current release like yeah the Simon lang walker films but just with tolkien writing yeah yeah like <laughs> I <would watch> that. <laughs> uh jt any last hits on avatar before we talk about rrr a little no nah, i feel like yeah I, i'm good i'm we, ready we to went get hard in. on avatar what do you think about rrr um i really liked it i mean i think it's my number three pick on my list i just like uh i don't know this is a movie that i feel like i've hesitated to like talk about just because the discourse around it which i mean like that bears no uh insight into how good the film is because i was like um after we had done the episode on ega i was like okay i want to actually like follow like rajamuli now and i was like i don't know very excited like one of the first on board like when rrr came out and i loved it and had a great time but then i feel like i mean i like obviously i do think there is like certain like cultural things there um that it, it is like fr- it is that become like frustrating when like a film blows up like out of nowhere and i feel like that like the way some critics do talk about it is like infuriating, but like at the end of the day, it's just like a, I don't know, a fucking amazing time. Very quick. Like, I mean, similar to like ambulance, like having like an intense, like kinetic energy to it. So many great, like dance sequences and musical numbers as well. Like, I don't know. That is just above all, just phenomenal. 
So when when you say, because I'm pretty sure I agree with you here, this is a leading question. Uh, when you say that the way some people talk about it, even who like it, is inferior, infuriating. Um, so it, that's like based out of a lack of cultural context, right? And it, it's not even like a gatekeeping thing where you want to say, just watch more Indian movies, why don't you? You know, you can't put it on your top ten if it's the only Indian. Movie yeah, no, you're, you're that, like the, the people. That's stupid, the people but, are saying that are very stupid too. Yeah, but it's like there's a lack of cultural expertise, obviously, uh, but even just like reference point to understand where RRR falls uh, as far as Indian films go in the way that a lot of people talk about it, obviously. Like the uh, the big, like the, I hate to say, I hate to corner them out, but like the, the genre type people, like the Beyond Fest, like the people, uh, Beyond Fest is a local thing here, of course, but uh, you know, the people who came to that as an action movie rather than as an international movie, if that makes sense. And it is an action movie and it's a fucking spectacle and it's a fucking rip roar in action time. But yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of necessary context in terms of, I don't know, the uh, Hindu nationalist uh, aspects of it. It's just like you got to know a little context. It just like, to me, it extends into a thing where it's just like with this, I feel like it's kind of like soy facing, like epic, mo- like YouTube reviewer movie guys, I feel like are most like guilty of like yeah. not wanting to engage with any like cultural like aspects of the movie and being like wow like indian movies are crazy and like the shit like and like that is like i feel like in the art in the more like art highbrow realm i feel like that definitely does happen too where it's just like when parasite was blowing up at like the oscars and everything i feel like the way like certain movie like either reviewers or correspondents or whatever like talk about it is just like oh well that means like i've seen a korean movie that means like i can talk about it with like the utmost knowledge of like korean culture and like cinema or like whatever and there's just like i don't know that's just an annoying thing that comes with like when a movie becomes so high profile that like you get people who aren't engaging with the the cultural aspects of a film and are just like i don't know stripping it down to a very base level um and like encountering like one cultural object as representative of how to read like a country's culture at large which is obviously very stupid well put yeah. Malcolm, any final words on RRR before we move on? Yeah, you guys, you guys, thank you for handling the intelligent, you know, <laughs> part of the discussion. But, uh, you know, it is, I, I, you, you love this movie because of, you know, the willingness of where it goes, you know, with its spectacle, you know, like it, you know, one of the characters fighting, you know, crowds of people at a time and, you know, beating up like a hundred people. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the, the brash style of it is just so... It's so well executed and so well thought out and imaginative that, you know, it makes sense why this crossed over because there's, you know, a lack of it in American filmmaking. And, uh, you know, uh, love Triple R. Saw it twice. Before we get into the top three, um, I want to do a little stinker mode, a little bit of negativity, you know. Let's do it. This, This is all about 
how great the best films of the year are, but, you know, let's be honest. Most of the time at the multiplex this year, it kind of fucking stunk. I wasn't a fan of most of the stuff I saw it this year, I have to be <laughs> honest. It's like, I saw 43 movies, and you don't start hitting three and a half until, <laughs> three and a half stars until, like, number 13. Okay. Like, that's, like, 30 movies that I was, like, either okay or negative on. My bottom five, real quick. X by T. West. The Northman by Mr. Eggers. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once by the Daniels Brothers. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> by wow. the Netflix Corporation. <laughs> and the number one worst movie of the year for me was Moonfall by Roland Emmerich. See, that's fun because none of those are on my li- I don't think I saw any of those besides, <laughs> besides Northman, which I think is, I don't know. Fair enough. That's what I, that's my review. Of not my thing. It's just yeah, not my yeah. thing. Um, here, I'll give I'll give my five and I'll I'll give some clarifications. But um, smile. I feel like we, people oh, people yeah. were kind of saying like smiles. Like oh, this is like kind of and maybe and maybe I shouldn't have read into that too much. Are you going to shut down the sneaky good accusations? I at least for my you know feel free to disagree. Smile was not sneaky good. It was. No, it's smile sucks. Is, yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you're with me, JT, cuz it is it's I don't know. It's just it's just a it's it's con- conceit it might just be too stupid to ever overcome kind of it's, like that. And it's not like stupid in like a campy fun way either, nor does it look like it, it the movie looks like shit too. Like Yeah. That I mean that's important. The movie looks like shit. The yeah. performance it, what is it, Kevin Bacon's daughter? I don't know. I'm not. You know what else looks surprisingly like shit is Deep Water. Deep Water looks like, like shit. Uh, Adrian Lin, yeah, like good director, but like, um, like the camera is placed in the right parts. You know, the staging is not bad, but like the sheen, yeah, horrendous. And, and here's the thing, right? People, I think people build this as like you know, oh, you know, with elevated horror out. You know, mm-hmm. this is a, mo- a movie that's you know fun and un- you know. For me, that was Terrifier too. That was that was my version of that. You know, it's like, but like people, it's like, oh, this is a movie without pretension, without anything, and it's like, oh, actually, the reason people, it's liter, it's like literally about trauma. Yeah. Like yeah. It, the trauma is like physicalized and like, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of you know the the conversation has become too expansive. You know, there's a lot of horror good horror movies about trauma or whatever. Sure, I would are, say most good horror movies yeah. have an element of trauma in. Yeah, them. yeah, exactly. So it's like not you know that doesn't make it an odd uh, you know immediate disqualifier, of course. But it it is like it kind of it's it is kind of funny that like the way people spun this and then you go see it and it's like oh wow they've literally made it like physically about trauma in a way that's like not. <laughs> That's, you know, just as kind of like skin deep and, but yeah, I talk, I, this is supposed to be rapid fire. I'm sorry. Yeah. Smile. The Batman, Batman stinks, man. I'm not into it. <laughs> Fuck the Batman. <laughs> it's boring. Um, greatest beer run ever. I, I, oh, no. I, oh, I, I, hate to, I hate to do this to, to Peter, but I, it I sh- respectfully didn't catch up with this one. <laughs> I, and I think JT had a little bit more positive spin on it than me, but I, I mean, I was in the bag for this one. Efron, you know I love Efron. Yeah. You know I love the Farrelly's. But there's just something about serious Peter Farrelly that's just becoming a little too much the stomach for me that, like, I feel like it works better in Green Book because, like, I don't know. 
It just just saying it's worse than Green Book is enough. That's rough. Yeah, I uh, thought looking forward to the Bobby Fairley movie. I thought that it was like uh, I thought it was better than Green Book because like for the first like uh, maybe I, I don't know. I've not like too much of the movie. It's in like sort of a goofier mode. Like when Efron is kind of like schlubby, like just like dumbass drunk dude in the town. I feel like yeah. that's playing to Efron's strengths, and I feel like there is a lot. Like he's doing a lot of heavy lifting, but I mean, I think Fairley is able to get a pretty good performance out of him. I just think, and I feel like this is probably a place where we'll agree that like the Russell Crowe parts of it. Like just where it becomes like <laughs> lean when it goes hardcore into the the drama like element of it and like when it when it's going for like the bigger message like if you could cut that stuff out but the parts where it's like very seriously like about Vietnam and sort of like yeah. making that reckoning there or it's just like okay like you're, it's like that is like clear bullshit but um, yeah based based Russell Crowe fans beware yeah. They turned him into a woke lib journalist. Damn. Sad to see. Wait, so just run through the top five as a whole real quick. My, I, my bottom five? Yeah, yeah, bottom five. Oh, yeah, rather. so the ones I've said so far, Smile, The Batman, Beer Run, truly the worst movie I saw this year, and I knew it was going to be bad when I watched it. Uh, the 12 Days of Christmas Eve starring Kelsey Grammer. I saw, <laughs> I, saw, I, I saw a clip on Twitter where it's like all the times he dies. I think Justin the Clue put up yeah, the clip okay. um, to give credit. But... um. And, you know, it was funny watching Kelsey Grammer go like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Is it like, anywhere close to him falling off the stage good? Uh, no. It's, oh, dear God. It's 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 so fucking bad. And it's like, it's a fucking TV movie made on like for the Hallmark Channel. So, yeah, of course, it's going to be fucking passionately or unpassionately made and like just very lazy, you know, very by the book. You know, Spencer Grammer, his daughter co-starring yeah yeah well it does have i guess if for the grammar for the grammar completionist it does have a little bit of uh you know eastwood casting your own daughter reckoning familial trauma aspect to it because Damn. uh grammar's not the best he's an absentee dad to his adult daughter who still cares about it i guess are you uh, talking real life or the movie in the movie but who knows probably Maybe, real life probably too. real life yeah. too and, all right uh, well, what's the other movie and then had? the last one i had and this is just purely because i didn't see that many movies this year but i feel like this movie underwhelmed me in a way that i didn't expect it to uh i didn't really like uh nope that much nope wow but i i i mainly just put i, I there's number a, one of our sister podcast slezoids for the year well i i i uh i feel like i could have put other movies there in the bottom five but i mainly it's like you want to make a quick statement. thoughts on nope who you guys got any thoughts on nope uh yeah i think the me we we talked about it on our catch-up oh, yeah. episode Fuck, it, we already it has fun parts but i think the metaphor is kind of like not that strong for it being a metaphorical movie you know yeah uh and it's just like the it's weird it's too much about spectacle and not actually a fun movie uh in my opinion i think it's okay it's not bad jt do you have a different yeah that's opinion? i mean it no it's basically the same as eddie there so you were, I forgot, you're not one of those people who's like super high on Nope or anything? No, no. Yeah. It's like pretty oh, okay. middle of the road for me, like three. Like, it's just like, again, yeah. I think like it's, it's not enjoyable. on your bottom five. Yeah, no, it's that, not my bottom five. It's an enjoyable yeah. movie, but like, I just don't like, I like, I see the points where the movie is also trying to like get at something larger. And I think it like, like, 
there's a there's a clear idea there, but it just never like becomes like a big like masterpiece that I feel like a lot of people are saying it is. Uh, the ideas me. never seem to become like cinematic or like in a sense. Yeah, I don't know. And they're maybe... talked more than uh, done. I guess I I don't know. Um, I mean I I guess the whole metaphor is executed by the climax, but like I was supremely underwhelmed by that like you, the the hero shot of him on the horse yeah the gates, that's like, not it's not doing it's, much for me it's i not. that's one of my least favorite feelings in cinemas where you have like the clear money shot and then i'm like this doesn't do anything to me yeah um yeah. jt rapid fire bottom five of the year yeah um these are some bad movies uh the woman <laughs> king i would say first uh rounding Respect it off for, for seeing that I would yeah say. you know what I, i'm glad that you're still treating women like kings i just i thought like I, I don't know it's like a movie about like a warring like african tribe that has like um i don't know female warriors it sounded like the the concept there i was like sounds like I'm, your kind of movie I was like, yeah, they're like if the action like is just barely decent enough and is like shot like okay, I was like then it could be passable, but it yeah. just looked like shit and was incredibly boring and like I don't know. I feel like that's like it's a clear sign when something that is like that Oscar Beatty is just like completely not in the conversation at this point. Like even yeah, even yeah. the fake movie fans like had to pass that one by. Um I, I, I feel the same about like women talking. I haven't seen it. You know, maybe it's good. I don't know, but uh, it is, I don't think it is. But it is. It's funny. Like this, looking at the if you're if you're going to pure Oscar analysis blog mode. Yeah. Like if it was like at least a little bit good, it probably had a good chance of winning this year. But yeah. unfortunately, but yeah. it just looks like bad. It. I didn't watch it. It looks very bad. Uh, JT, what else you got? Okay, so after the Woman King, I'm gonna say Halloween ends. Um, Ooh, controversial. I like it better than the second one. I thought. I thought Corey Cunningham. That's a fun. Oh guy yeah. Right I mean, there. it is better than the second one, but like that's not saying much at all. Like, yeah, no, it's still bad. Yeah, it's like there are par- there are parts of it that I felt like could be. I-, I don't know. It's doing something which is like neat or whatever, but doesn't do enough for me. It's not vi- yeah. nearly violent enough or interesting enough. I would say. Probably three would be Smile for me as well, then Moonfall, and probably the worst one I saw was Thor Love and Thunder, which, like, I just walked out of. Because it was, like, (laughs) Brianna and I saw that, like, in the summer, like, when it was, like, we mostly just wanted to, like, because we both have A-lists, and we're like, oh, we can just duck in here for the AC and, like, see what, like... See how bad in the this summer movie. they call it the AMC AC list. <laughs> oh wow, interesting. Um, yeah, but <laughs> but we um were like, okay, we can always duck out of this, and it was just so lazily made. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. That- yeah, I heard from an inside source. I I, I I'm gonna go page six mode. Uh, little birdie on set told me that Taika Waititi. Allegedly, allegedly. I mean, allegedly, it, the movie looks so irresponsible. Like it's just like, like it looks like a guy who's asleep at the wheel, right? Yeah, like, no, he, he just, has his jokes in the script already, so it's like. But I mean, what most does he even of it is do? not even like script. Like most of it, I think, is just like fun, like kind of actory improv, and like you, could, they're just no stakes. It's like one, like the worst like version of the, the one of these movies because it's like 
you know what's going to happen in the plot. There's absolutely no stakes because they don't treat anything seriously. And, like, it's just, like, so transparently, like, all green screen, like, fake. But, like, not in the way that, like, Avatar, like, induces wonder. This is just, like, oh, this looks cheap as fuck and bad. So, mm-hmm. yeah, left that. All right. So let's get back to the good stuff. Yeah. Number three, Tar by Todd Field. Uh, this has my favorite performance of the year in Kate Blanchett as Tar. Uh, just kidding. My favorite performance of the year is the audio only performance by Alec Baldwin in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> best supporting actor. Yeah, yeah. best supporting voice actor <laughs> in a podcast within a movie. <laughs> They should have, like, best cameo at the Oscars. <laughs> they should. That would be a fun little thing. They should do, like, goofiest smile, best kiss. They should make the Oscars into, the like, the Teen Choice Awards. Yeah. Like, <laughs> hottest guy, <laughs> biggest oh, ass. Oh, man, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> trying to think about who Tar's voting for for biggest ass. Biggest <laughs> ass. Who has, who, had the, who had the biggest ass in movies this year? Email us to let us know at extendedclip <laughs> at gmail.com. You know, the awards have totally changed since they started letting 10 different sets of asses get nominated. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Tar's a fantastic movie. We did a whole episode on it. There's not too much more to say. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I really love how the boastful style is like gesturing toward elegance but kind of crashing into its own ego in a way that reflects tar as a character you know mm-hmm. um tar wants to be the god of uh, contemporary classical and kind of is at the beginning of it um but like she she doesn't have classical elegance and manners she's she's a she's a bitch she's yeah. mean she does bad things you know uh, and i feel like the way that this film is so measured for the first two thirds and then kind of goes a little more handheld and a little more wonky uh toward the end like it makes sense at first i was a little frustrated because i loved how rigid the style is for the first like hour and a half plus of this movie um, I, I, I think it is pretty intentional, though, the way that it becomes less rigid as it goes. Um, I, I think that the blocking is tremendous throughout. The there, There's just so much depth to the compositions and the way that it's lit. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a very... It's a sneaky, funny movie. Very, yeah. very funny movie for, uh, for a serious drama about a classical conductor. Yeah, the dialogue is so, you know on point in this movie where it's like it it does things with shot reverse shot where you know and i mean like it just feels so effective and i feel like you know why this movie was so discussed so popular obviously because it, it, it's a little zeitgeisty mm-hmm. but I, I think that, that i mean that's that's kind of the joy of you know maybe some people don't like that but that's kind of like the joy of watching modern movies keeping up yeah. with movies but also i yeah. think 15 years from now it just works as a drama in its own right Totally, but like I think, but just analyzing why, yeah, why I think people talked about it enough. There is something tantalizing about you know being zeitgeisty, but also being good and well measured, and mm-hmm. not being you know completely cheap. You know something like, you know, you're right. It will hold up because if you do something like that poorly, then it you know it, um, you know it 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 makes the move. It makes it just feel cheap because you went for like the cheap thing at the time, and it the it doesn't hold up over time. It kind of a la, 
in Birdman when you know Emma Stone, you know, comes up to Michael Keaton's like, "Dad, you've gone viral." You know what I mean? That's a classic <laughs> example, but uh, I think it does it here in a way that yeah, Tar's like, a lot more responsible. In yeah, that stuff. yeah, it's a res- responsibly made movie. Underrated, underrated aspect. A lot yeah. of responsibility. Uh, JT, Tar uh, revisited. Yeah, Tar revisited. I will agree. We're gonna read it's, Tar. It's a very I'll read Tar. Very responsible movie. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> moving on to our number two, which again just eked it out, dude. Tar got twenty points. Magic Spot got twenty-one. Magic Spot by Charles Roxburg, written by and starring Matt Farley. This is the Uncle Magic movie. Now, who else? Who else would make a movie about time travel that is not about saving the world, not about making it rich on a scheme, not about? killing someone for revenge but about helping your uncle find his lost love who makes movies where people actually care about their uncle anymore <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> who, who is making movies who actually cares about their uncle in real life very few people i would Look, say i'm not yeah. into identity <laughs> politics yeah, yeah, but yeah. in the last five years i've identified more as an uncle than anything else <laughs> more than as a man a jew uh you know straight person like a, an uncle is what i identify with in the cinema it is uh, no but yeah. really it's it's a fantastic movie about community and family and i think that the local news stuff is also fucking amazing like the local access cable show world that this kind of dips its toes in and out of it's probably the most like mixed media fairly or farly rather yeah. movie uh in terms of like that stuff uh and i love the way he pulls that off i think it's just he has a great sense of humor about it uh, and being someone who makes no budget movies, the ramshackle local access show is a very easy mode for him to enter. Yeah. And I think, you know, you kind of mentioned it with metal detector maniac. There's a huge element of performances, you know, within his movies, whether, you know, a lot of them are musical, but, you know, he kind of finds a way with kind of, you know, the access show being a talent show to kind of, you know, uh, really interweave that throughout the movie and kind of, uh, you know, whereas, you know, maybe Metal Detector Maniac kind of feels cool because it almost feels like the movie pauses for like a, a Farley performance, you know what I mean? Like this one, there's there's something about the plot line in this that feels a little less meandering, I would say, than a lot of other um, Farley-Roxburgh, you know, uh, combinations. And, you know, it, it, it I, I like that aspect of it, you know, kind of... Uh, them kind of the idea of the poem that the uncle you know said and them you know kind of finding the rock there's there's a real uh, good sense of momentum and that's not usually something i associate you know with kind of the talent of farley yeah and Roxburgh, but no I, I think this I is like, like that aspect. this is like their like high concept movie where they like ha- they introduce time travel with types of rules and things like that but i feel like it's that melding together of them like tackling something that's like big and like a little bit more plotty, like contrasted with just like the fact that they still are like it, it like moves, but there are like it's slow and weird at points where it's just like he finds like the bouncy ball um, that uh, Poopy was uh, um, <laughs> like uh, had lost like back then too. There's just, like, that group of, like, musical performers just, like, chilling in the woods. Love but, that. But, like, Love yeah, that. they're, like, those those little flourishes, like, built into, like, 
having like a movie that needs like okay where it's like well what are the time travel mechanics and then it has to be that like there there's like a a risk of like what part of the year you're time traveling in because like you're not sure if you'll be able to acclimate with the weather and things like that it's just there it's <laughs> them doing this kind of high budget stuff or like high budget style mo- like story like allows their quirks i feel like to come out on a much larger scale i love like like you know if the time travel aspect and it being low budget you know it it all works you know but you know with every like time travel movie right you travel to a different uh you know travel to 1976 and then yeah. everything's in a sepia tone and yeah the 70s music starts playing and you know you know you see the striped shirts people used to wear back then or whatever and it is like, you know, in uh, what's this place called? Uh, Tussleville. There's like Tussleville and Tussleville, 86, 1940, 1992. It's all the same. It's all the same. You know, it's it's still th- this small community and, you know, not much has changed here. And, you know, I think uh, it's kind of a I like that aspect of it. And also I, I, I like, uh, you know, it is kind of like the aspect of the magic spot, this rock that you travel to and his uncle got caught, you know, going from dying to going to heaven or whatever. And I love like, kind of like, uh, the plot mechanics of this, you know, Farley will explain them to characters and they'll be like, okay, yeah, sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it People is are on board very easily yeah. with this. There, it's always like the very slight reluctance and yeah. then they're on board, which I love. It's very funny. Uh, yeah. Farley, Farley is in like town troubadour mode in these movies where it's like, you know, he doesn't even need to explain himself. You know, you, yeah. you just gotta, you just gotta follow him along. You, you gotta trust. You know what he's saying, and uh, you know, I do. And as I mentioned earlier, with Metal Detector Maniac, the the use of Farley's songwriting abilities to inform narrative. I mean, here being like the talent show local access host really uh, brings it all together. Like that, he he's able to flex his muscles so hard in that regard. It's it's so fun, and it's the most sentimental. Uh, Farley Roxburgh movie without sacrificing any of the weirdness that creates their charm for like the pap kind of sentimentality. It's really just like somehow that highly emotional while still being as strange as any other other work. Um, fantastic film, but it's not number one. You know what number one is? Just a just a what few points one? ahead. Number one's going to be Hong Sang Soo's The oh, Novelist's Film. I had a feeling this would be number one. Oh, Hong Sang Soo, you do it to me every time, don't you? Uh, just like the boys at Motard Media, Hong Sang Soo making his hyper specific, often digital black and white. Sometimes it'll go color, but he's been in a very, very hefty digital black and white mode for the last few years. Uh, recurring characters, recurring themes, recurring ideas and conversations, even. Um, very selective music choices often done by the filmmaker, even Hong Sang-soo is credited as a composer on some of this stuff, you know, uh, another super prolific artist who has just been doing it forever. The, uh, what else is new? Well, I'll tell you what's new for, uh, <laughs> for Hong Sang-soo recently. Uh, this is the third Hong film in two years starring Lee Hyu Young. Uh, an older woman, you know, he he made news, made Korean tabloids for marrying his uh, muse, uh, Kim Min-hee, in an uh, extramarital affair, as it started. And uh, so she was the star of his movies for like three years or so there. And now she's kind of receded to the background while still being heavily involved in the movies, obviously. But uh, Lee Hee-young 
has taken over, and I like this because it's like a second maturing period for Hong. You know, Kim may still be his life, but he's much older than her, and he needs like a later middle-aged uh, actress uh, to be the stand-in here, or actor, but in this case, it's um, she plays a novelist, and it's a very metatextual story, like most of his. It's a later middle-aged artist finding a muse in Kim Min-hee who makes her completely try a new medium. Like She's like, oh, I'm going to make a film because I just met this actress that I love. And, you know, Hong Sang-soo didn't change mediums, but he completely changed the trajectory of his career when he met Kim Min-hee and started working with her. And his films are so much different since um, that I feel like this is a great you know, meta story in that regard, especially with the very ending, you know, seeing this film that she made. And it's really just like Hong holding the camera, following Kim around a park, and she's picking up some flowers and stuff like that. And it's just like a total love letter to his muse. And then you get the shot outside of that with her in the theater. And how many of his movies have ended with Kim Minhee in a movie theater? <laughs> uh, but this one, she's in the lobby of the theater and it's just this perfectly symmetrical frame with this kind of dynamic lighting. And she's just kind of standing there carrying the weight of what we just watched. And uh, it's kind of a mysterious shot. There's nothing really certain about what she's feeling there, but I feel like as a viewer, we just, once again saw this guy lay out his life on film like he does a couple times a year and it's it's funny it's moving uh all the leads are fantastic in it it's it's just it's a banger it's hong's best film in like five years no yeah i was i was a huge fan of this this was pretty high up the list for me and i think what you know what i loved about this film specifically is you know it feels so natural like things happen spur of the moment you know the novelist main character she just runs into people as she's walking around places and that's how mm-hmm. like the plot you know kind of ignites itself but yet obviously you know with hong it's you know it's still complex and there's such a complexity to all the characters he shows on screen like yeah. there's you know the way they present themselves you almost like you get their front right you get like this is how they want to appear to people how, you know their profession what they're doing and then you know it feels like along the way their passions are revealed. You know what I mean? This is what I actually want to do or what I, and then, you know, then in some of his other, you know, for some characters, then the third layer is revealed. It's like, well, here's how they actually are. And like their interiority, their interiority and how, you know, uh, I think of like something like, uh, towards, you know, the later part of the movie, kind of like the book club drinking Mm -hmm. meetup and how, you know, uh, what your your ex, what you've thought of characters before just shift so naturally as they're put in like a different, you know, in a drinking setting, a different setting. You know, the great equalizer, the alcohol Hong mm-hmm. Hong loves, and uh, I don't know, like that aspect for me is just the way characters kind of uh, reveal things about themselves, and as the movie goes along, just feels I I don't know I don't. There's not a lot of other movies that quite do it like he does. So I, I, I you know, I was saying Roxburgh, Farley, of course, Hong Sang Su's appointment viewing every year. Yeah. Every time I see a movie in that year, a movie makes my whatever top 10 list. And I don't really see that changing, you know, for times to come. 
Uh, yeah, and it's also, as you like to describe movies, uh, the plotting of it, you know, it follows its nose like a dog. Yeah. Uh, you got, you got <laughs> Lee Hee Young here, and she's like, she's meeting all these people. You see all these Hong regulars pop in, and they get a scene or two, and yeah. they're leading her from one place to the next, whether it's Ki Ju Bong or Kwan Hae Hyo, who is incredible in that. I mean, when they meet up, I think at a museum, uh, and he's like immediately kind of pushy because yeah. uh, he's like a director, you know, <laughs> he's like immediately kind of weird with her and she's like yeah no i don't know like uh and then of course kim min he when they meet up probably halfway through the movie just end up splitting the billing for the rest of the movie and she is just as amazing so i i feel like that's also one of the reasons it's the best hong in years is it's one of my favorite kim performances in years even if she's only really in half the movie jt uh yeah i love this i agree it's hong's best in years like the just I mean, again, like the titular novelist's film in this delivers like it's such a like there's simple choices. But like with Hong, it's like such like beautiful, like it's such beautiful brilliance, like making the shift to color uh, for the film then and just like having it be like obviously his work has like consistently been autobiographical but i feel like the like meta like textual element there of it just being like hong like following around kim min hee and does she say like i love you at one point or does <laughs> he he say yeah, yeah like, like they talk off camera i think he says i love yeah you yeah off you camera, can basically. like you can the fact that you hear him like talking off camera is something <laughs> that's just like so like i mean again i'm not the like as much of the Hong scholar as you are, but that like moment, like has he ever like done anything like remotely no, like that's that? Completely like, breaking the, you know, it, it, he goes further and further with that kind of stuff every time out almost, but that, that was totally, yeah, no, it, it was like that. Like, I mean, again, it's such a small, like little thing, but like, my God, did that, like, that was like the most exciting moment in a movie for me all year like just uh like hearing hong like on screen yeah. like uh was powerful so that will do it that's our top 10 of the year uh just quick you know going through it again 10 vikram nine metal detector maniac then both sides of the blade trauma zone crimes of the future ambulance four was a tie between rrr and avatar three tar two magic spot and one hong sang su's the novelist's film i you know i i think it's good that we combine our lists i think it makes a more powerful list than our individual ones it, it does it has yeah. a nice i like the way this list although i will say i wish the monsters made it i might have put it higher on my list just Damn. to skew the vote sneak but, that monsters in there hey give I, it a shout uh, out if you want I, no i just uh you know, I was talking about, you know, wife-husband cinema. I oh, mean, yeah. The Monsters is way up there for me, too. And, yeah, uh, check out The Monsters. Uh, another great movie. Uh, an email that seems like it's from five weeks ago now, but we haven't recorded in a while. Uh, from Faye Westwood. Thanks for the pod. Hey, fo you know, this, pod, this email implies that we're ending the podcast again. So just with that in mind, this email has some details wrong. Don't get worried. Hey, fellas, I don't know if I'll, you'll get this before you record the final episode, but I feel like I should write in just in case you do. I started listening to the pod only a few months ago, right about when I started my first semester of college. Listening to you guys a few times a week has been weirdly fond, uh, 
has been a weirdly fond memory of this time, as you always make me laugh and give good insights on the refreshing range of movies you talk about. I wanted to ask y'all what your most anticipated flicks of 2023 are. Anyway, hope you had a good holiday season and are successful in your future pursuits, and perhaps even return to the pod again sometime. Well, um, I don't know. Were you? Did you try to send this a year ago to the day? Like that? That would make mm. sense. Well, either or way, did we sound like we were ending at the end of the this year? I maybe don't know. I don't. It's yeah. Who knows? But hey, but good, thanks for the yeah. G- good luck in future. Yeah, pursuits. that was a nice. But email. also, good news. We're back. We're back. <laughs> we're, I, yeah. Congrats to you, man. We're we're still around. Yeah. Um. I think it's a lady, not a man. Oh well. Pardon my French. Um. Twenty twenty three. Oh yeah. Most anticipated movies. You gotta you gotta be looking forward to the Martin Scorsese. Yeah. You gotta oh, be looking yeah. forward to the David Fincher. Oh yeah, the ki- he's remaking that John Woo movie, The Killer. Yes. <laughs> is that is wait, is that it's what not, it is? It's okay. not what it is. I it's just called actu- the killer. I actually confused myself where I, when I said that I'm like, wait, is that actually true? No, that would be sick. <laughs> that would be sick. Uh it's a serial killer movie with uh Michael Fassbender. Sounds sounds juicy. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely same DP as another big auteurist movie for this year, Michael Mann's Ferrari. Oh, that, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I, I, so I those are the ones I'm most anticipating. Yeah, I yeah. don't really know the upcoming movie news, I guess, but yeah. there's still like some you know festival releases. I want to see Padre Pio. I want to see, I want to see Padre Pio. Yeah. I want to see Pacifiction. Hey, uh, Free LSD. I want to see that movie Free LSD. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the promo. Yeah, promo. I want to see that movie Ephus. Ephus, yeah. I mean, I I want to I want to see both. Yeah, of those. I'm actually very much looking forward to that. But uh, anyway, yeah. JT, that's all. wait, wait. JT, JT, you got any? Oh, I mean, just those. I mean, it's all the auteur like classics, really. Like, uh, I don't know. Wes Anderson has two movies coming out this year. Oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. Interesting. Buy, yeah. buy your stock now. It's, I liked yeah, I liked yeah. the last one yeah, quite a yeah. bit in my top ten of that year. Yeah, kind of, kind of controversial. It's kind of, it's kind of like kind of sneaky great. It's kind of, it's kind of being a Wes Anderson fan. It's kind of like being a Radiohead fan. Now you're getting, <laughs> getting pitchforks and uh, fucking torches wherever you go. So do it, do it responsibly. We're we're kind of responsibility is the theme of this. Episode. Well, Wes Anderson never uh, played a concert in Israel. We'll just say that. Pretty much hasn't every musician played yeah, a concert I in Israel? I just remember the Radiohead thing was particularly <laughs> juicy for whatever reason. I don't even remember if they did or not. That's that's. <laughs> That's a stock that's falling. Being mad at uh, performers, <laughs> being mad at Israel. <laughs> no, being, being mad at musicians playing in Israel. I feel like that's is that still a thing? I I mean I I'm still mad about Look, it. Man, of course. Bob Dylan went to the damn Wailing Wall. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Well, uh, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm not pro-Israel. But like, <laughs> I was gonna realize this is say. Here? This sounds it sounds very pro-Israel. You know what? No, I'm not. Yeah. Look, I don't no, want I, it to be misconstrued that the one Jew on the podcast is also a Zionist. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't care that Bob Dylan went to the fucking wall. Well, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we'll see you soon. (laughs) 